Well, let's get right into it. If you have your Bible, can you just lift it up this morning? Maybe it's your phone. If you can just lift it up. We're going to have our teens in here with us today, so it's a, t- it's, a, it's a coaching moment. Somebody just say, this is my word, the precious word of God that he gives to us for direction and navigation of our lives. Receive his word in Jesus' name. Somebody say amen. As you take your seat, stay in praise right now. How many, has anybody been praying over that trust this week? It must have been a lot of people just believing for trusting God. And I want to tell you, it's been so much to trust God for this week. Turn me up in the monitors. I may have to move this. I want to tell you that, you know, I was thinking this week and I began to sit there and and ponder and I was thinking about how during the course of my day or during the course of my week, I, would, I have a habit of sitting in silence or riding in silence. And during that time, sometimes I, I feel like uh, I think about e- extraordinary things during those moments. I'm just joking. It's, it's, it's kind of things you're riding down the street, you see something, you see these things. But God usually begins to speak in those quiet mo- moments And one day I I pondered on a thought while I was watching a sporting game. And I began to wonder, like, I wonder if referees have the same challenges that Christians do. (laughs) Again, it's odd thoughts that I get while I was watching it, right? I'm preaching during the game I'm watching, right? I thought about it and I said, you know, they, they have to go through a set. They have to go by a set of criteria. There's some guidelines that they follow. They have to stand in the middle of conflict that they didn't create while championing a standard of the game. But here's what got me that stood out. I said, wow, they, they stand on the field like everyone else, but they are distinctively set apart. And when I begin to think about that distinction in being set apart, I mean, you re- I don't care what team is playing. I don't care how their jerseys look. The referees, they stand out. And they're distinctively, distinctively they do. And I begin to think about the warriors and the ministers, the believers of Christ. Like, how do we distinctively stand out? And then I begin to think about another thought this week. I thought about there are moments when we've sat around in, in our silent sanctuaries of our life and because we're praying and we're desiring for God to do something amazing, right? Something miraculous. Anybody sit around and you, you begin to think about like, hey, I want God. I'm praying and believing for God to do something amazing, something miraculous in our lives. But I begin to think about, do we actually, when we pray that, do we actually stop and actually begin to consider the cost? Somebody got that? I'm talking about considering the cost, like what the cost would be. I want the, I'm praying and I'm believing for this amazing thing and something miraculous, but considering the cost, what would the cost look like? The pressure that it would actually bring, the cleansing that it would take. And whenever we are in position for a blessing, it's easy to think about the utopia, the glory of the situation, the end result. But it's hard to see the bruises that come with it. 
So in reading a passage, I was just thinking through this, and I was like, God, what are you saying? You know, I was thinking through this, and there's a scripture a passage I'm going to share today, but while reading that scripture or passage, here's what God gave me. I began to think, I said, you know what? What if God showed us the cost of the blessing before he revealed it? Not that he instantly he gave us the blessing we prayed for, but what if he showed us the cost before he revealed it? Maybe we would have some people like, uh uh-uh, uh, all right, God, that's good. Uh, next one, you know, next one, let's, let's go. I'll take the next blessing. Uh, and maybe you get to that when he begins to show some cost associated with that, and you're like, mm. uh, yeah, that's good, God. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. But when you're believing for it, we may not think that way because we're, we're designed for breakthrough. We want God to bring about a move. Am I the only one in the building that's believing this? But I'm saying, what if he showed us the cost before he gave us the blessing? Thank you, musicians. Come on, give it up for our worship team for worshiping today. So before I read this passage that God gave me this morning, I want you to go to the book of Matthew, chapter 5, real quick. Grab your Bibles, your phones, your iPads. I want you to turn there because regardless what version you have, I want you to turn there because it's going to set up what we're going to be discussing today in this. So I want you to grab this before you even put it up on the screen. I just want to go in this beginning right now. I want you to go to to Matthew chapter 5. When you have it, say, got it. Don't worry about what verse, just the whole chapter. (laughs) Literally, Matthew chapter 5, go there. Um, I want to set this up before I read part of this. Um, In chapter 5, Jesus begins to focus the people in on how blessed they are. The Hebrew people, he's bringing them into a focus of how blessed they are. Can you put that scripture up? Uh, Matthew chapter 5, 3 through 13. And what's, what's amazing about this, he's focusing them on this regardless of the oppression they were experiencing, regardless what they were going through and had been through, he wanted them to be aware of their identity and know that regardless of the circumstances, they were still valued. They were still valuable. Come on. This is why he expressed in the verses 3 through 13, the he expressed what's called the beautitudes, the, the blessedness of the people in their current state. And he went on, he was sharing, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. He goes on in verse 7 and says, blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. In verse 10, it says, blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. In verse 11 and 12, it goes and said, blessed are the people. He continually, he's saying, blessed. 
So regardless of the circumstance, regardless of the situation, he's trying to get them to understand that they are still valuable. So he's coming with this, and he's continuing to start it off and saying, blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad. Because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. But in verse 13 is where I want to take us today. It says, here it comes. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. So I want to speak to you today from the subject, salty. Because we've been talking about trust, we've been talking about God and standing on his word, and I'm not speaking from the definition of the world like salty, you know, the slang word for the negative attitude and that you've had enough in your own life, but I'm talking about salty as it relates to us being the salt, somebody says, of the earth. earth. See, you see, salt was a valuable commodity So through the statement of you are the salt of the earth, not only was identity being shared, but also value. See, as salt, as like salt, we are like those referees. We're on the field like everyone else, but we are distinctively set apart. Now here, salt was an illustration of the people's identity so they could understand the spiritual intent of their life in the natural. Now, this is important because there are times when there is a loss of identity in the fact that what we were created and what we were called to, we're called to be salty. We're called to salt the earth. So God is asking the people to be salt in the scripture as they knew it in their village because it was known as val- it was valuable. It was a preservative in their village. As this relates to the identity of who they were, you must understand that during these times, thieves would sneak in and cut the salt as it relates to value because it was valuable. Now, this is sort of like how the enemy can rob us of our identity in Christ or rob us of our hope in Christ because of what we're going through in our circumstances. He begins to cut away at our value in Christ, but here Christ is telling them, literally who they are. I heard a leader say that we are not the sugar of the earth, but I've seen a lot of sugar-coated things. I was like, man, that will preach. He didn't call us to be the sugar of the earth, not as Christian or believers to be sugar-coating his word, but he said, teach, right? The divided, the right word of Christ, amen? And so, Since we are not the sugar of the earth and we're the salt of the earth, here's the scripture I want to get to because this was really profound to me. And it really breaks down when Christ is speaking. Now, understand that Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7, it really is, is what is known as the Sermon on the Mount. When Jesus went up and he's, he's teaching, and, and when you get, I'm going to the book of Luke chapter 14, verse 25 through 34, because I want to show you how this supports us in being sought in what he told us in Matthew. Now, Luke chapter 14, verse 25 through 34, it says a large crowd was following Jesus. And I want you, I want you to keep in mind the, 
uh, if he showed us the cost <laughs> before the blessing. It says, a large crowd is following Jesus. He's turned around and said to them, if you want to be my disciple, you must, by comparison, hate everyone else. Your father and your mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even your own life. Otherwise, you cannot be my disciple. And if you do not carry your own cross and follow me, you cannot be my disciple. But don't begin until you count the cost. For who would begin construction of a building without first calculating the cost to see if there is enough money to finish it? Otherwise, you might complete only the foundation before running out of money, and then everyone would laugh at you. They would say, there is the person who started that building and couldn't afford to finish it. Or what king would go to war against another king without first sitting down with his counselors to discuss his army of 10,000? If they would be able to, basically, could they defeat the 20,000 soldiers marching against them? It goes on about the cost, and it says, if he can't, he will send a delegation to, to discuss terms of peace while the enemy is still far away. Verse 33 says, so you cannot become my disciple without giving up everything you own. Salt is good for seasoning, but if it loses its flavor, how do you make it salty again? Now, this is as clear and transparent as you could get if you were offering someone a role and immediately wanted them to take it or quit before they started. I mean, this new group of followers Christ is speaking to immediately have the opportunity to have an exit interview before they even start. He is pretty much laying this out. He's telling this new group of followers up front is going to cost you. Can you imagine someone showing you around the office that you're interviewing for saying things like, you know, we have outstanding Starbucks coffee here. Uh, It's a great environment. The people here are just fantastic. The benefits are second to none. And as the conversation goes on, they say, hey, we're going to pay you 90% above the average salary in this role. And as it goes further, they begin to say, they begin to share, you're going to have to work nights and weekends, all holidays. You're going to have to leave your family. And then your smile face turns into a stank face because now you're beginning to realize how good for how good the opportunity is there's a cost associated anybody get that i'm trying he's basically trying to tell them that discipleship is not convenient i'll give you another example like in ministry you share discipleship opportunities no matter what church you may belong to or go to and and people are like uh okay let me hear about it uh I'm not sure I can do uh, the daily discipleship uh, thing, but, and you're like, well, it's daily discipleship, but your role is part of that, but you only perform your role once a month, and people are like, okay, once a month, okay, that'll work. Uh, What week once a month? And and then you say the third week, and they're like, well, the third week, uh, I don't know how the third week is going to work, and you say, I'm sorry, I didn't have my calendar in front of me, it's only going to be the first week of the month. And they continue on, and in their mind, you wonder if they're thinking, well, maybe I would just be better off worshiping on Sunday. Somebody's not getting what I'm saying. During those moments, I've sometimes wanted to quote Jesus in the Scripture by saying, salt is good for seasoning. (laughs) But if it loses its flavor, how do you make it salty again? I'll, I'll leave you with this. 
Discipleship is not a one-time thing, but it's a process that takes place over time. See, in the scripture, at the beginning of the process, Christ is openly vetting the commitment and the intention of people. He's assuring that they've counted the cost while assisting them in understanding who they are. Salt. Somebody say salt. Think if 500 people showed up and wanted to serve and everyone was excited and, and, and they were so excited and we're excited as a church because we know what this is going to do. We know the impact that it's going to bring for ministry. But then we turn around and we ask this question without hesitation. By the way, are you willing to die? I'm pretty sure people are like, huh? <laughs> like, wait, 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 Pastor Joe, what, what are they talking about? Are you willing to die? This is basically what Jesus did. He, he then turns around and follows with an ending statement of salt is good for seasoning, but if it loses its flavor, how do you make it salty again? Now, I don't know about you, but if I was hearing that for the first time, I would think that that was the first ever spiritual rabbit trail. Because he's gave them all of this, he's telling them standards, he's laying it out, he's telling them, and all of a sudden he goes, salt is good for seasoning. <laughs> but if it loses its flavor, how do you make it salty again? I believe it's important, it's significant, so let's talk about us being salty. Now, in life, we all strive to be great, to desire to fulfill our purpose while being impacted by the pressures of life, the things we were talking about this morning. See, it's the negative pressure that presents a cloud of issues that blocks our view of what we are actually and truly called to. See, somewhere along the lines, the world lost its flavor. While those who possess the saltiness, that's the purpose and the substance, have struggled in an effort to sustain that flavor, that saltiness of the earth. See, without the salt, the spiritual diet of the human race will actually decay. Now, the challenge is those who have been called, those who have been adopted, those who have been chosen, those who have been purposed, those whose name was changed to victory, has somehow begun to wage, world, wage war as the world does versus walking and warring spiritually salty. Now, the real need here is that it takes those who are extensions of the kingdom to realize that their kingdom is not of this earth, but that we are the salt of the earth. Look at your neighbor and just say, I'm so salty. Not negatively, but salty, the salt of the earth as God has called us to, because I want to take you somewhere with this as God is speaking this through me. See, salt carries an important significance, so let's talk about it. We love how it makes our food taste, but I want, you, I want to bring it home to our spiritual life. See, did you know that salt was a miracle? It's composed of two poisons. The chemical element of sodium and the chemical element of chlorine. If you were to ingest the two poisons individually, they would cause harm to your body, but put them together and you have ordinary table salt. That which formerly brought harm now together brings flavor. I want to deal with this because God is showing something in this because when we come together in Christ, it's, isn't it amazing how God takes the bad, 
how he takes the lack, sometimes the poison in our heart, the poison in our mouths, and, and creates a miracle for his glory. He, he like takes all of that and he, unbe- he unveils things in our life that you didn't know that you were even capable of. And, and God has stated in his word that he made us unique and he has a specific purpose for us and he wants nothing else but for us to fulfill it. Somebody say fulfill it. Fulfill. Now, it makes salt incredibly important for him to say all of that and then say salt is good for seasoning. <laughs> so I want to keep going. Even though salt in its estimated 14,000 uses plus, um, you'll be surprised that it's essential in all the daily things that we deal with on earth, whether it's making computers or, or the clothes that you're wearing. At one time, salt was even carried as the same value as silver. And as a matter of fact, the word salary derives from the word salt. And in biblical times, salt was known as a covenant and also represented loyalty and friendship, which both were sealed with salt. See, salt was the necessity of life and was a mineral that was used since ancient times in many cultures as a seasoning, as a preservative. Don't miss that. A disinfectant, a component of ceremonial offerings, and as a unit of exchange. Is mentioned in the Bible, and I'll just give you a few reference scriptures in Numbers 18 and 19. It talks about salt as the holy contributions that the people of Israel were presenting to the Lord. It talks about that. And it says it was for their sons and their daughters with a perpetual due. Perpetual meaning that it, it, it never it ends. It doesn't change. In Colossians, it talks about let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt. In Mark chapter 9, verse 49 through 50, it says, For everyone will be seasoned with fire, and every sacrifice will be seasoned with salt. And then it comes back in verse 50 and says, Salt is good, but if salt loses its flavor, how will you season? How will it be made salty again? Have salt in yourselves. This is the part one you get. It says, Have salt in yourselves and have peace with one another. In Leviticus, it says, season all your grain offerings with salt to remind you of God's eternal covenant. Never forget to add salt to your grain offerings. Pastor A, what are you saying? All of this salt. It's significant. I want to bring this to our lives as salt of the earth. See, spiritually, a salty life is evident of a life in Christ. Like salt, we should not lose our saltiness. There is no such thing as unsalted salt. This matter of fact, the system of salt is that it never loses relevance. I love this. Never loses relevance. Let me give you an example. You can place salt in hot boiling water, and after the water has evaporated, you get salted crystals. Now, that should be good news for someone because no matter how the world slays you, yet will he bless you. No matter how broken I get or how broken I am or how broken I may feel or the hardship I may be dealing with, I've dealt with all my life. But even after the trouble has evaporated, I'm still salt. I'm a believer of God. I'm walking the walk. I'm, I'm walking in his word. I'm going through all these things. But even after it evaporates, my state doesn't change. I'm still salt. 
Being the salt of the earth is not just something we do, but it's something we are. That's why he was stating it that way. We should be encapsulated. How the song said Christ is robed in righteousness, we should be robed in righteousness with him, spreading it to the world around us. Now, just as salt is needed to perform for your body to perform well, yes, it's salt. It's about 0.4% of your body. Uh, Your body needs it in order to perform well, not overdo it, but it's needed to regulate your blood pressure. See, we as salt are needed to enhance this world, to change this world, to disrupt this world with Christ. We are not to look to do this on our own, but only by the power of the Holy Spirit. But get this, we must be cautious in how we salt. You see, salt is pleasurable to a believer, but can be deadly to someone who may be onboarding in the kingdom, an unbeliever, based on how you salt. I want to pose a question. Who is the good news for The good news, if the word of God is good news for us all, it should stay good news even after it leaves our mouth. Sometimes the way that we saw can totally murder the opportunity of anybody ever having the opportunity to come to Christ. It impacts it negatively. So how we saw is so key to the extension of the kingdom. That's all right. You preaching, Pastor A. I got it. See, it should still be good even when it leaves our mouth, because if not, the good news will turn into shocking bad news. It will inadvertently reverse and hinder the effect of the Holy Spirit. See, I'll give you this. It takes more salt to preserve something versus how much season you need. It takes more salt to preserve than when it only needs, something only needs seasoning. See, God wants to flavor us with his goodness so we can let others taste and see how good he really is. Get it? See, imagine, imagine this. How, if you're in the middle of a spiritual guidance session, if you don't know what that is in church, it's what we call counseling because legally you can't say counseling, so we say spiritual guidance. Get it? little teaching moment so you know what I'm talking about. So we counsel, <laughs> uh, but one, you'll be in the middle, imagine someone in the middle of a, of a counseling session, and all of a sudden, the person who is leading it gets a revelation that, oh, I see what's happening. Uh, you haven't accepted Christ yet. You haven't surrendered to him, so that's why you're going through these things. I don't know about you, but I've tried it because I'm crazy, but salt really burns on a cut. <laughs> Yeah, Facebook that challenge. Ah, <laughs> it really hurts. <laughs> it really hurts. It really does. And we don't want to reverse that. So we have to understand as believers, there are some characteristics of salt that we must carry if we are going to truly, somebody say, salt the earth. So now I give you this word and I want to give you some revelation. Because these are key things, and as you, as you think about the characteristic of salt, remember what God told us we are. Don't miss it. I don't want it to be confusing. But number one, salt enhances. 
Salt penetrates anything, whether it's food or anything into which it is inserted. It, it permeates through the entire dish, not necessarily giving the dish seasoning the way we think. See, salt doesn't really season. Lost you. <laughs> like, huh? What salt truly does, it actually, it, it actually draws out and enhances the flavors that already exist. Maybe that was for me in my closet because I'm like, Oh, my God. So salt doesn't, it's not the fact of the seasoning, but it's really about the drawing out. And we should be penetrating the earth so that we can draw out everything that God has placed in it. That anybody raise a hallelujah for that. See, the absence of salt, which is the absence of believers and evangelists, is the absence of righteousness. And in our life, there should be some penetrating and some drawing out. And as we penetrate the earth and people, it should bring out the aroma, the flavored righteousness of Jesus Christ. No place should ever be the same once we salt it. Come on. But secondly, salt is a catalyst. Now, in some reactions, like sodium metal is used as a catalyst. This means that a catalyst basically is a material that within itself, it does not undergo any alteration. It's a catalyst, so you can insert it into something and it won't change uh, the, the thing, but it will bring about a reaction. So it, it will alterate something. Like, for example, in producing light bulbs, sodium is commonly used. Because it's a chemical reaction, they want to either speed up or they want to slow down. Well, I want, if you get that, we have to become a catalyst for this world so that we can regulate the mess of the world. This is why you should not get caught up in what political party or, or social society groups that you support because that causes separation. It's not a catalyst because you already belong to a group and it's called the kingdom of God. And as people of God, we should impact the reaction that people have towards God and each other. Not all the other mess in the world. Those things are easy to get caught up in. But we're, if we're called to salt the earth, we have to be a catalyst when all the mess is going on. I'm going to get real. Sometimes that is the time when we get quiet. Because as a body... We haven't figured out how to effectively be a catalyst. And when I say a body, I'm talking about kingdom. I sit in meetings about this across the country, different meetings and pastoral meetings, and everyone's trying to figure out, like, hey, we're not political. We're not getting into all this. But how do we tell the saints how to, to respond if we're supposed to help people rightly divide the word of God? How do we do that? And it gets lost. So that catalyst part is so major because we're trying to understand how to effectively do it. Get it? But thirdly, come on, musicians. I don't want to take long. But thirdly, salt preserves. Somebody say preserves. See, in other times, the only way to preserve food, if you wanted it to last for a while, was to salt it. This will prevent it from destruction or decay. In other words, salt was used as a preservative, which means it's instrumental for making things last longer. See, it enables things that would otherwise decay on its own to remain. 
See, we need salt to sustain our covenant with God in our faith. Think about it. Everywhere Christ has been removed has now taken on deteriorating issues and results. Let me name some for you. We took Christ out of school, deteriorating results. We're now trying to take Christ out of family, deteriorating results. All right? Ethics, our ethics, our children, our parents, our teens. Every single place that Christ has been extracted out of has deteriorating and decaying results. God is saying to us as his followers, look, you all are the precious penetrating preservative that prevents decay. And you should be and you are that of the earth. Now, notice that God has never stated we were grains of salt of the earth. Because a grain of salt means we stand independently, separated, but we're called to be salt unified. He didn't say grains of salt independently, but salt together, unified, kingdom. Come on. Now, you may say, Pastor Ray, you know, you just have to salt where you can. Well, let me help you. Isn't it amazing that you can put salt on anything? Salt on caramel ice cream. Salt on a steak. Come on. Anything that you place salt on because it enhances the flavor of there. We should be salting our families so that generations of family won't be impacted by the same mess that happened in 1935. Why are people dealing with, at 35, what they struggled with at 17? There is some salt that is needed. Why are people struggling at 50 what they couldn't get over at 30? We need salt to impact this. But the last thing is right here, and I'm going to close, but this blessed my life. The last thing is salt makes you thirsty. <laughs> hey, this, this was a hallelujah moment. You know... You ever been in your car by yourself and you heard a word and you just like, and, and you're like, then you look around to see who's looking and then you realize it was so good that you didn't care? That was me on this. Salt makes you thirsty. Remember I said that without salt, the spiritual diet of the human race will begin to decay. People will also not know when to drink. Thus they will become spiritually dehydrated If we do not salt the earth, we should be creating a thirst for God when people see us or around us. When people are around you, something should be sprinkled on their life that makes them thirsty. Not something of you, but something of Christ. Let me go and preach to you. Had it not been for some salty people in my life, I would not be here in front of you right now because I would have died because I would have been spiritually dehydrated. People that love me, people that sprinkled salt on my life. My praying grandmother who would lay in my bed even when I wasn't home. She would just come over. Maybe they don't do that anymore. But my grandmother used to go to my house when she knew I wasn't home, lay in my bed and pray. Even though, and she would continue to salt my life regardless that I broke a couple of her windows, you know, throwing stuff and I accidentally somehow ran a car through her yard. But that's besides the point. 
she's still salting me. Had it not been for her salting my life, understand that. But if salt makes you thirsty, imagine if we truly, if we wanted a thirst in the world for Christ, how much salt do we really have to dump? How much salt going out would make people all of a sudden, they will begin to lift their hands and, and begin to notice and understand who Christ is and just look at you and say, I don't know what it is, but this salt is making me thirsty. Stand to your feet. Some of you may be saying, Pastor A, how do I become salty? Understand what I've told you because it speaks to the unbeliever and the believer. You've always been salty. You were created with the action to salt the earth. See, when you came into this life, when you came into Christ, you were created as a new person and made salty. The power of the old you was broken. When you were saved, you took off those dirty clothes and you put on some new ones. You see, the old you was bitter, but the new you is salty. You must believe what God says, that you are a new person, Christ, and you must take action upon that and go out and do what he said. Now, there may be troubles upon the water. I love the Peter story because I love the fact how that story was told this morning because that's how I've always engaged it because you have to understand there are going to be troubles upon the water. I've said it before that we hear that God says, have peace. <laughs> but peace in Christ is a life of adventure. It is, it is a faith walk. It's not a hammock. <laughs> You're not on the beach in Cancun somewhere when he says, have peace. But he's saying, regardless of what you're walking through or what you're dealing with, have peace anyway. Be crazy enough to know that you can have peace anyway. Even when the world is giving you smoke, you know who the Savior is, and he's the fire that consumes our life. So if you're going to receive that, because check this out. You're, you're salting your community, salting your family. You know what it does? It gives opportunity for someone's defeat to turn into victory. For someone's dead life to turn into a resurrected life. So as the prayer team come down, I pray that we can salt the earth so much that people will begin to give their lives, lifting their hands and making the statement of, I can't let that go, that this salt is making me thirsty. <laughs> what a thirst for Christ. So if you not only want to be salt, but maybe you say, Pastor, I'm salty, but I'm the other salt. I'm the definition you said you weren't talking about. Like, I'm just salty right now. It's, I've had so much going on in my life. I'm just, right now, I'm, I'm just over it. I'm done. That's okay, because Christ will take you how you are. He made everything. If you say, hey, I, I'm, I'm salt, Pastor A, and I believe what the Word of God says, and I just need to walk in it more than that's you. So as the prayer team is here, we're going to sing a song. We're going to worship, but we want to believe you. You want to say, accept Jesus Christ as your Savior. Here's the opportunity to do it right now. But whatever you do as you leave this place, remember in Luke, basically what was being said is if, if you are a believer, but you don't reflect what Christ, reflect Christ is saying, what good are you? 
That's why I said it, it's good for nothing. It'd be trampled underfoot. That's basically what it was saying in a nice way. So if he just said it in that straightforward way, he's saying, or if you are a believer but you don't reflect me, what good are you? So let's go out into the world. Let's worship and let's be salty. Somebody raise a hallelujah in this place.